Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of Pincant, the podcast where we go deep into the tech. We're not your normal tech news podcast. We'll dig into the APIs, look at the tech specs, and sweat the details. Half an hour, once a week, we'll try and keep this short. We're not journalists or podcasters, we're developers and computer scientists. I'm Douglas Shearer, I'm here with my co-host Ian Wallace. Hi Ian. Hi, evening. So, we've got a bit of a mix-mash of topics today, because we've both been jet-setting around the world, so we've missed a couple of weeks. So I think um, just covering some of the interesting, for a certain value of interesting news that's happened in the last week or two. Okay, so first up we've got, as part of AMD's new processors, which I think are now rumoured to be launched at CES, we have a picture of the CPU socket that's going to be used for them. For the M4, this is exciting because it's news on the number of pins in something, so there's 1,331 pins in a socket AM4. And obviously, given the title of our podcast, this is this is vital news. I don't actually think there's anything else interesting here. <laughs> no, I think that the picture of it is literally just like a plastic socket. And, like, the real question... It's quite an old-school socket design compared to the Intel ones. Yeah, I would certainly say looking at it, it looks like an older-style one. Reminds me of the, um, the old Socket A stuff um, back in the Athlon days. Uh, jumpers for Gold Coasts. Silver paint to uh, join the uh, resistors on the top of the chip. Unlock the multipliers. You ever do that? Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. spending quite a lot of time doing that. Um, yeah, so I guess the real thing we're waiting for is are AMD CPUs any good yet? But uh, I guess we won't find that out until they're out in the wild. Yeah, it's one of these things. I mean, there's two things, sort of additional things here. I mean, it always amazes me that AMD insists on launching CPUs at CES. I don't think anyone pays attention to A, CES in the first place or B, CPUs that are launched there. It just seems like the wrong place to launch them. Yeah, it's a bit odd. I mean, I, I guess I'm being a bit harsh on AMD there. I think they're still pretty competitive in the, like, you want an integrated GPU, they're better than Intel there still. My second thing I was going to say is that I, I really hope these chips are good because competition in the CPU space is great for everybody. Yeah. What's this? You've got a note in here about iFix that's saying they're wrong about iPhone 7 sensor sizes? Yeah, so when we were discussing sensor sizes, I think in the previous episode on the iPhone 7 Plus, we sort of asserted that the sensors might be different sizes. When I yeah. fix it, did their teardown, it turns out both sensors are exactly the same size. Well, that's interesting then, because I wonder, hmm, I need to find some XF information out of a, 7 plus, a retail 7 Plus then. Yeah, so it looks like the, the optical differences are purely optical, or rather purely in the lens, and the number of elements and the layout of the elements, I guess. Rather than any yeah. sensor size fiddling. That's interesting. I, I need to look into that. Because the focal length information did the calculations on the last episode were out of the EXIF from those pre-release, I think it was Sports Illustrated images. Yep. Had the EXIF in it. Um, I guess following up on the iPhone 7 thing, you've got a link in here you're going to put in the show notes about John Gruber acknowledging the fact he didn't know about Big Little. Yeah, yeah, we laid in it a little bit last time, um, and yeah, it just admitted just, it, it completely passed them by the ARM uh, big little architecture. Yeah. How is your iPhone Seven going? You've had one what a couple of weeks now. Yeah, it's, it's it's been really good. The battery life is noticeably better than the previous generation. The success, my success was only six months, so I don't think the battery had deteriorated too much in that time. Um, but certainly when I was um, away working, I spent like whole days out the hotel, like long days where I was using the phone a lot um, and yeah we still still had great battery life at the end of every day yeah and it okay. seems to seems to be good so far apart from I now have a big scratch across the screen courtesy of my dog so oh no nightmare yeah never leave your phone in a hoodie pocket lying in the garden near where the dog digs <laughs> you don't say um so some exciting news in the world of SSDs so Samsung have uh, announced their next generation 
NVMe PCI Express SSDs. I think they're actually out to buy now, the 960 Pro and Evo. And the exciting news here for you is they've now got two terabyte in that form factor. Yeah, so I think, I mean, maybe the very first episode when I said one of the things I'd like in a new MacBook Pro was two terabyte SSDs. Well, Samsung now have them and in the form factor that Apple use or similar form factor to what Apple use. So the the chips are out there, they're available to buy. So yeah, I'm They're fast as well, like I think uh, three gig a second, that sort of pace. Yeah, they're quite a step up from the previous generation 950s. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see things moving along there and it's great to see the big size. I'm really excited if they do make a two terabyte one. And a um, bit of another callback to a previous episode where we were discussing FPGAs and things. Uh, have you, you've seen the various articles about how Microsoft's Project Catapult and they've got FPGAs actually in their servers deployed at scale. Yeah, I had, I had a, a little... Look through this a while back. There's been lots of news from sort of the big um, data center and cloud players about you know the. I think someone moved first, and everyone else has had to sort of show that they're working on the same thing. So Microsoft have done it. Um, Baidu, the Chinese search engine, they did it, and I think Google have got some stuff out as well about it. But the interesting thing about what Microsoft have done, they started with it just oh yeah, you've got FPGAs in this in the server, right? But then the there's a good article somewhere I need to take out, but they moved. The, they originally had FPGAs in the server connected over the PCI Express bus as normal, so you've got some reprogrammable hardware that you can you know, dedicate to a particular function. But then they found they're actually getting better benefit by moving it closer to the network. So instead of a network adapter, all the network traffic comes through the FPGA and then into the server. Okay. And they do a lot of um, cunning routing and you know intelligence there Yeah. to manage it, which is quite quite interesting. So one of the things when you look into high-performance networking, um, one of the ideas that's often pushed around is um, user space networking, where you move the networking away from, the, in most cases, the Linux kernel, and you actually do it in user space. And this looks like a way of doing that, but on dedicated hardware as well. Yeah, without the performance hit. Yeah, um, so it's certainly interesting to see them doing this. Um, I wonder how long it'll be before we see networking gear, big switches and routers that have um, FPGAs that are sort of programmable by someone that isn't just the vendor. You know, you get a a, a, a router that's got FPGAs in it and then you can put your tasks onto those FPGAs to make your network work the way but, you want yeah, to. Does, does it even matter for anyone that's not at such a large scale that they can effectively get custom kit made for them, right? I mean, if you've not got tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of machines at the sort of Microsoft cloud scale, then does it does it even matter? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a middle scale where it does matter a little bit. Um, there's a CDN uh, vendor called Fastly. They're only a few years old, and they do some super interesting things with um, BGP, and I think they maybe do some user space networking stuff, but they're at that interesting size where they... Well, first of all, they don't want to buy routers. They just hate them. They just don't do their networking that way. Um, they do a whole bunch of other things. And um, secondly, well, they haven't got enough money to buy big sort of, um, what would you call them, carrier-grade routers, but they still want to do interesting things with mm. the networking. So I think there's maybe a space there to make this where it would be valuable. Okay. It's not something I really know a lot about. I just thought it was interesting that they, they weren't putting FPGs in the server, kind of adjacent to the servers. The next article you've got in here is um, Google talking about doing image compression with neural networks, which is something we've talked about a little bit in the past. Yeah, it's it's just interesting, like the technical details of how they do it. They I've put the correct link in here. They are using recurrent neural networks for this, so networks of memory. So you feed the input image in in the first one. The network then tries to compress and then reconstruct it, and then into the the next phase, you don't 
you feed in the difference between the images and you kind of keep on going so it's trying to minimize the difference if you, if you see what i mean it's trying to learn how to minimize the difference between the input image and the compressed image yep um it's kind of um reminds me a bit of the kind of adversarial network type autoencoder sort of things i i just find it really interesting but then this is an area i work in so it's <laughs> of course it's interesting to me yeah i mean it'd be interesting though, i mean i saw someone was also doing video compression the other day and it was a uh, um, a bit of chat on Hacker News in the comments. I'll see if I can find it. It might even been about this article, um, which was just images, about whether the neural network could ever reach the efficiency of, say, something like H.264 or H.265 video codecs. And a few people reckoned that they probably wouldn't just because the codecs are so finely tuned. Um, but there's certainly applications where I could see this sort of stuff would be useful. Right, but the, 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 the promise here is surely that you can have... Um, it's like you said, it's finely tuned, but then that's what you're doing in... You know, to be very dismissive of all machine learning is just parameter tuning, right? And you have the promise of perfectly tuning every parameter to the to the content that you're trying to encode if you have enough of it. Yeah, I just wonder how general that can be. I mean, whether you, you run into, what's the phrase for it, overfitting with a lot of things. It seems like it'd be very difficult to make a neural network that was entirely general to any sort of image. Yeah, but then that, 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 that's kind of my point, right? You gen a different model for different content types. And yeah perhaps achieve better compression but then the real problem there is i guess what you're saying is um, a general neural network model not necessarily a trained one so if you have a sufficiently large model to apply to a wide variety of content type does that then mean that your model has got way too many parameters to compress the model parameters efficiently enough because you'd have to transfer the model with the with the content if you see what i mean the weights at least um, I think we'd sort of maybe offline but talked about this so you had the, the Simpsons you could train a model around the Simpsons and there's hundreds of episodes of the Simpsons yeah. so there might be value in passing the model along to the end user and then passing them minimal data to get them every episode of the Simpsons that sort of thing yeah there's some interesting stuff about uh, even learning model structure as well but that's getting a bit, weird, a, a bit too niche even for this so yeah. maybe, maybe skip over that suffice to say I just thought it was interesting and kind of getting on the hype train there neural networks for all the things and then another thing that kind of leapt out at me, because it links back to a previous topic, you've seen um, Sharp have been showcasing an 8K monitor at 27 inches and 120 hertz, which is absolutely crazy. I think it was the, maybe this morning or yesterday Linus Tech, tech, tech Tips had a video with this Oh monitor. yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that. I, I haven't watched it. Was, it wasn't this monitor, they just used four 4K displays. Ah, okay. So this monitor, right, this 8K 120 monitor, because of the crazy bandwidth, it's got eight DisplayPort cables for the input. <laughs> Because it's not, it's it's like a 8K is the equivalent of four 4K screens, right? Yeah. So that's four cables, but then they're doing 120 hertz. So to get the bandwidth, they need eight cables. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, this reminds me of um, early 2000s. IBM made what you call a medical imaging monitors, which are just like 17-inch monitors, but they had, I think at the time it was maybe two, I don't think it was 4K, I think it was 2K, and it just seemed, they were crazy high resolution for the time, and this is that, but for the current generation of technology, or for now, I suppose. Yeah, just It was, um, they called it IBM Deep View, didn't they? After, right, that's the one, yeah. After Deep Blue. Yeah. Oh, I'm just following a load of dead links to the IBM site here. We'll see if we can find it and put it in the show notes, I'm Sure, I've got some stuff about it. Maybe some PDFs. Yeah, it's, it's so it was so long ago, two thousand and two. Um, yeah, every every link I'm following is dead. Um, there's also an interesting on this link I'll put in about the 8K display. Got a uh, display over a thousand PPI, a tiny little display, two point eight seven inches. But then that's like four K per eye VR. That's why you need that. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's interesting. Man, that's quite good because four K and I is getting there. Eight K per eye, I think, is what would be needed for perfect VR. 
You just need the sixteen. Um, yeah, the cables. Yeah, hanging out of it. <laughs> you've put, you've put a link to a KB Lake desktop benchmark in here. That's interesting. Yeah, so this is another thing that's rumored to come out around CES time is the des- uh, Intel's desktop KB Lake uh, processors, which is the the next generation Intel stuff. Although the mobile parts are out now, aren't they? Yeah, they've announced the sort of lower end mobile parts, or I've not announced them. They're available to buy now. You can actually get them on I think some Dell laptops and stuff, or basically any vendor that isn't Apple. It appears. Yeah, so there's a couple of benchmarks have appeared on um, Premit Labs Geekbench browser. Is it any good? Because you've put a link in here that isn't actually comparing it to anything. Yeah, well, it's only the OpenCL benchmark that's there. There's not actually the CPU benchmark. Okay. So this CPU just appears in the specs for the system on which OpenCL performance was tested. Um, There's two of them. It appears it might have been the same person because they're the same spec. GeForce GTX 750 Ti's, uh, Windows, the same ASRock motherboard, but it shows these things that are out there. The interesting thing about it is it's um, 4.2 gigahertz, which is the first time I think in a long time. The f- was it 5960? I think it was 4 gigahertz or 5930. No, nah, the current um, the current 6700s are go up, go up to that, don't they? I thought they were 3.8 or 3.9 base. Nah, they've gone over four. Okay. Yeah, 6700K goes to 4.2 gigahertz. Okay. What's the base on it? Uh, 4 gig. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. So this one's saying it's 4.2, so it's a bit clocked. It's clocked a bit higher. But yeah, like Depends how it's reporting. It might be an engineering sample. Yeah, there's no um, there's no useful CPU benchmark here, so it's just interesting to see it appear. Yeah, I, I can't find anything to compare this to. So, yeah, hmm. Could be someone uh, messing around with the data. No, yeah, it totally could. I mean, you try and look up the results for any sort of CPU that's been out for more than a week. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of just spuriously high results, high numbers. It's... It's actually sometimes quite difficult to find genuine results when you want to compare things. Yeah, so an- another callback to a previous episode here, I've put a link in the show notes there where um, someone's written an article about using TensorFlow to learn la- weights for a model to then ex- execute the inference in the BNNS framework on iOS. So that's in, the, I think, the very first episode talked about my speculation about them adding GPU-accelerated neural net inference functions to iOS and iOS 10. And but how they had nothing to, they had no training story, right? But well, here's a yeah. here's an example of how to train on TensorFlow and execute a model on a iOS or Mac hardware using yeah. That. So this is the kind of thing we both hoped would come out in the form of documentation from Apple themselves, you know. Yeah. Um, but this this article is yes, yeah, it's, it's quite um, short, and I don't mean that there's not enough content here. I mean I think it's quite well presented. Well, it's a super simple idea, right? I mean, remember when I discussed it before. I was like, well, I think I could, I know exactly how I'd implement this because it's not, it's just a bunch of numbers assigned to variables. That's not when you get down to it, right? Yeah. And I guess this kind of like links neatly on who we, we were speculating about in that same episode how CUDA support had for CUDA 8 had returned to Max even though there are no current NVIDIA Max and TensorFlow gained Max support as well which was interesting and then I saw an interesting tweet from Benedict Evans represent, uh, linking to a page that was talking about how NVIDIA are hiring for Mac engineers for graphics drivers yeah I mean there's no way they'd be hiring for that unless they had something upcoming um, or they just want to sell accelerators to plug into boxes hooked up to Mac Pros, <laughs> I can try and yeah. say that without laughing, but um, <laughs> they're just too old now. I suppose the thing, I mean, if we get Thunderbolt three, um, you could hook them up to anything, really. But um, yeah, so that's interesting. We can so we, there's hope yet for our KB Lake MacBook Pro with a NVIDIA GPU and two terabyte of uh, fast SSD. Yeah, well, hopefully in three weeks we'll know. Could happen. So I, I figured this also links neatly into what can maybe be our, our main topic. That's I was at GTC Europe last last week week before last which i thought might be quite interesting so this is 
You know what it is, listeners might not. This is NVIDIA's GPU technology conference. They have a, a big one in Silicon Valley at the start of every year, and they're doing kind of satellite events now because GPU computing is becoming so prevalent. And they had an event in Amsterdam, and I was speaking at it, so I got to attend and uh, go and see some interesting stuff. So uh, I thought I'd tell you a bit about the interesting stuff I saw and give you a chance to ask questions about so they didn't announce any, or they didn't announce much new and exciting. I think they announced a new, um, what would you call it, like um, sort of automotive computer, like yeah, I think for so, in cars. Well, this is a next generation embedded chip. They've announced the existence of it with a Volta GPU rather than um, rather than a Pascal one. So with the next generation of the GPUs, they announced the sort of performance level they're ter- they're targeting, which is using the tops measure, which is trillions of deep learning operations per second, basically integer math. Um, they're targeting uh, one top per watt, so one trillion operations per watt, which is incredible. So to give you like some comparison point, the kind of best uh, power to compute ratio at the moment for admittedly teraflops, but currently we're using teraflops, but we will be using teraops to do, if that makes sense, is uh, 15 watts per tera, whereas we're looking at one watt. That's a really quite incredible performance increase in terms of uh, performance per watt for sort of deep learning operations and and when do they think they'll have these out is it a year or 18 months or something yeah oh, more like 18 months i think i can't yeah. they haven't announced anything other than the existence and a picture of a chip that's you know a render okay um but it's, it's interesting that they announced it's coming and they're announcing it so far in advance i mean this is maybe because they're targeting the automotive market and that they, they kind of want to know things are coming a bit more and like self-driving cars and things were a huge topic at gtc i mean an enormous uh, there's a whole strand of the talks in the biggest room were going the whole time that was on automotive applications um saw a lot of people from porsche and audi and so on so on there because it's obviously a big car industry in europe yeah i mean i suppose the thing i like to see here is that the sort of performance per watt becomes like the headline feature of a lot of these um, devices that are coming out and i suppose it is driven well no pun intended by the sort of automotive industry automotive industry yeah it kind of amazes me a bit the low power values that they're targeting there because you have a, you have relatively quite a lot of power coming out of a car especially once you start moving to electric cars the amount of power for compute is nothing compared to to actually move move the chunk of metal down the road yeah so that was interesting but it's um, a, that that's that performance per watt thing is applicable everywhere once you take that what is it called volta and scale it up and you've got a, some sort of crazy big compute card i can't remember the names off the top of my head now but you can stick a bunch of them in a server quadros or the teslas yeah teslas, teslas. if you can stick tesla, like tesla? F- yeah. 15 times the power in the same power envelope when you think about what they get away with in a sort of dgx1 you know yeah. that's that's getting somewhere like really quickly yeah they're obviously throwing big money about it and like that's the other big topic i mean in jen sun huang's keynote he was going on about deep learning as a uh, thor's hammer handed down by the gods to smash all our problems which is <laughs> did make me kind of think a bit about you know well if all you've got as a hammer everything looks like a nail it's yeah, like bad, yeah, yeah yeah bad connotations there but it was um but he's the he's the ceo of a company that is sort of betting the farm on this so he he has to say that yeah, they kind of got lucky there. That's the other thing I kind of thought. The other thing I kind of thought during the keynote was, you guys kind of got really lucky that someone lucked out and made an Nvidia card good for this. It turned out to be quite well suited, but at some point, dedicated hardware is going to arrive, and then they, you know, then they might start being in trouble. 
Yeah, but I mean, hopefully they're making a move. They're not. Ho- I mean, hopefully for them, they're making the move to have dedicated hardware as well. Cause oh, they're investing enormous money into it, like dedicated operations implemented in silicon for their their new P four and P forty uh, Tesla cards. For de- you know, they're targeting them at running inference in the data center. Yeah, training. Um, okay, so what, what other cool stuff did you see while you were there? Big wide Dell monitors. They're pretty cool. So I kind of seen the you know the sort of thirty uh, four inch widescreen, like super widescreen. Uh, form factor monitors that are kind of becoming a bit popular now, the sort of curved ones. Yeah. You seen the specs on these? So they're, they're, it's basically like a, a normal sort of a 120 DPI and not retina 27 inch screen, but just stretched out twice as wide, if you kind of imagine it like that. Okay. I mean, that sort of thing we'd see, I mean, we've had plenty of discussion about this offline before. Like, I like working on one big monitor, but having like lots of code side by side. So a wide monitor would probably sort of help with that. But yeah. most of the time, I think I actually want height. So what I really want is just like a giant monitor. <laughs> Turn one of these sideways. That'd be horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I can just see. I mean, if you've ever been to the office of any companies that do what's the word like financial services, you just oh, see yeah. tons of monitors like put vertically. It would not surprise me to see one of these widescreen monitors like vertically with just like massive all of, of the Excel. <laughs> yeah, all of the Excel. Yeah, yeah, but no, they're pretty cool actually. Just to sit and use it, it's, it's kind of. They feel a bit like it's hard to tell because the the whole Dell stand was quite big and full of these things, so you got nothing you know close by for scale. But it fe- it felt a bit like it felt like more spacious than the twin twenty fours I normally work on, but in a kind of nice sort of sweeping array of screen. It was really cool actually. I really it was nicer than I thought it would be, and the slight curve really helps for sort of yeah yeah. The, the, certainly, I mean, just looking at my sort of twenty three inch monitor my distance now, and I think about if you made it wider, you'd almost want it to curve. Yeah, um, yeah. I think he's maybe worth looking into. Yeah, the the machine attached to it was interesting as well because it was. Um, I was kind of looking at his laptop and I was like, they've got an HTC Vive hooked up to a laptop, but there's no current laptop GPU that's got the power to drive a Vive properly. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And they're not going to be showing off some sort of a poor performance VR demo at GTC. And then I was like, ah, where it normally lists the model number on this laptop is just blank. <laughs> that's interesting as well. <laughs> So I was like asking the guy, it's like, what, what GPU is inside this? And he was a <laughs> next generation NVIDIA GPU. It's like, mm, okay. <laughs> so it was um, it was a precision chassis. I used the precisions for work, so I know what they look like. Um, but it's clearly got um, a Pascal Quadro in it, which was uh, quite interesting. It was frustrating not being able to get more information about it out of him. But I mean, obviously, as NVIDIA haven't launched these, he wasn't going to say anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what that actually is, because certainly a sort of high-powered Quattro in a laptop is a sort of interesting proposition. The only thing I can say about it is I tried a AutoCAD demo on a Vive looking at a model of a F1 car, and it ran perfectly. It was like very high resolution, very fluid. It was very nice. Yeah. I was asking, the thing that really interests me is the amount of RAM for training neural networks. There's reasons it'd be handy to do it on a laptop sometimes. And... I was saying, I was seeing what questions I could get away with. So I was like, I've got models that require 8 gig to train. Will I be catered for? And he's like, yes, you'll be more than catered for. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh, but there are, so the 1060s that are in announced laptops at the moment, the consumer parts are at 6 gig and they've got 1080s and laptops with 8 gig. And this was a, you know, a mobile workstation part. So 8 or more gig of RAM. It's not, not inconceivable at all. Yeah, so it sounds like a, yeah, 12 or maybe, well, maybe not 16 because they don't put, bigger than 12 even in a tesla 
Uh, oh, they do, in the, they do in the quadros. An, an M, a Maxwell, a previous generation M6000 has got 24 gig. We saw a lot of those around. That's that's the other crazy thing about GTC. Like, what you think is a high-end computer just isn't a high-end computer. Yeah, because there's just tons of crazy stuff all everywhere. Like, yeah, you you look at a machine and you're like, oh, it's got two 24 gig quadros in it. No, it's just a low-end box. <laughs> and <laughs> chatting to the vendors and they're like, oh yeah, so uh, once you've proven your concept on your DDX1 and you're ready to actually deploy it at scale, and you're like, what? <laughs> Yeah, that was a uh, chatting what, to the. What did they suggest then? Just like more DGX ones? Or... No, this was chatting to uh, Bull about their Sequoia system, which is absolutely nuts. It's a crazy bit of kit. We'll put a link in the show notes. So it's, it's basically they were selling supercomputers, right? It's got um, Power One U in your rack. You've got four P one hundreds, and I think it was a one, one or two CPUs. You can put six Xeons Power One U as well, and they, they've got this kind of the thing. Just looks like it's jam packed full of. Like, you know when you look under under the bonnet of a modern high-performance car. It's just full of stuff, like there's yeah. pipes and stuff everywhere. It looked like that. It looks like that, but it's all in copper. Okay. And it's because in one side of the rack, they pump in cool water, and then the hot water comes out the other side, and they've got these big cold plates on the bottom of the one new thing, and it's just, just basically a, a slab of copper. I looked up how much a rack of these weighs, and it's like three and a half ton. <laughs> wow. It's insane. Cause it's yeah, just... you're going to need to find the right data center for that because they don't like that sort of floor loading in a single rack. But it's a crazy, crazy machine. I mean, 1U. So if, if anyone doesn't know what 1U is, or 1U uh, server looks like, think, uh, imagine you ordered a big pizza. Think of that sort of size, that sort of thickness, maybe a bit deeper. Yeah, I think I think when people actually see a, yeah, a 1U server or just a rack mount server for the first time, most people can't believe how big it is especially in terms of depth yeah yeah maybe two large pizzas back to back but they're only as thick as a pizza box so that's the crazy thing right and then it's got xeon cpus and a bunch of uh, p100s in it which is really quite crazy so the, the link you've got here they, they list at the bottom for their compute cabinet is it each cell can each cell and a cell is one you one you yeah oh no no a cell is um two three rack cabinets one of which is just for switches so you can get 288 dual socket Intel Xeon nodes or 288 single socket Intel Xeon Phi nodes or then a, a mix of those two and then yeah each what is it four what's four times four no no you've, you've read that wrong because the, the nodes have each one new unit of their CPU ones has three pairs of Xeons so six Xeons per one new yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's right the math works out on that Okay. Yeah. It's, so you it's get, insane. Just the compute density is insane. So you can get 384 um, NVIDIA, what would you call them, CPUs, GPUs in there? That's yeah. Kind of... Anyway, I feel quite inadequate with my uh, GTX 760 in my home machine. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to look in a DGX1? Yeah, oh yeah. And uh, also in terms of, yeah, that's pretty mainstream. I saw a couple of those. I also had a poke around inside um, one of those new IBM Power 8 boxes ah, so yeah. you've got the the power rate. unfortunately basically a poke around the side it's just oh look there's a lot of copper in here yeah <laughs> um, but it's still pretty cool yeah there's something we should talk about in the future because they use nvidia's um interlink between the yeah. gpu and the cpu um, and all the gpus are interconnected as well it's fully connected i had a really interesting chat with a guy from ibm actually because i was waiting to uh, watch a drone demo which is to do with my work and 
they were taking a while to get set up, so I was near the IBM stand, so I went over to look at the guy, and I was like, I, I don't have a budget for anything crazy like this, but it's a really cool computer, do you mind? <laughs> you know? And he, he was just super excited to find someone just geeking out over it. I think it was pretty cool. That's cool. He just thought it was awesome too. Because like, it's genuinely a different computer architecture, right? It's different. It's not an Intel CPU. It's not connected in the normal way. It's got these uh, GPU coprocessors, which aren't connected in the normal way. You know, we've got a lot of weird stuff going on. Yeah, that's sort of similar to what we talked about a few episodes back, the HP the machine. It's just a completely different way of looking at things. Yeah. So um, whilst I try it, GTC, tried some VR demos. That's quite nice. Obviously a lot of VR rattling around there. You, you've still not tried proper VR, have you? Still not tried proper VR. Oh, you really... Every time I try it, I think even more about getting myself a setup. It's just... It's expensive, but there's such... It's so uh, hard to explain. Like, the best definition is the Cortex podcast explaining how it's like a hallucination you've had and you're trying to explain these visions to someone, because that is what it's like. Yeah, I think I need to see if I can go somewhere or just rent something to let me try it out. I mean, imagine if you show someone a photo of a place, it shows them what it looks like, but it doesn't, it doesn't show them what it's like to be there. Right? Yeah. Um, and you do feel like you're there, and that's why it's unreal, because you feel like you're somewhere else, even though you're just in a headset. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, def- like there's a few... Um, I think now they've hit retail shops, there's a few places you can go and book to try out Vibes and things. Oh, that's probably a good idea. Um, I don't know if there's anywhere in Scotland, but... Yeah, it's... I don't think PC World will do it yet. Uh, no, they sell them. Okay. I think they have a few. It's, it's worth looking into. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Pincount. Uh, we put the show notes online at pincountpodcast.com, but uh, you can also just check in your podcast player there. Uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm at the underscore accidental and Doug's at Douglas F. Shearer. The show's got an account at Pincount Podcast. We love getting your feedback. If you think we've been really wrong or you've got some interesting uh, topics for us, then email us at wrong on the internet at pincountpodcast.com. Okay, so Erlang the movie, what? <laughs> yeah, two seconds, let me just paste the thing in. Oh. What is this? Do I, do I even, how long is it? Ten minutes and the walk is down. Watch like the first 30 seconds and I'll find the next exciting bit. Okay, hang on, there's a dude with a beard. For some reason it's muted, I blame Skype. There's dudes with um, beards and serious facial hair. Yeah, so I mean, this is... Um... Oh, he's got a phone, of course he's got a phone. Are they all <laughs> speaking Swedish? No, 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 it's, it's all in English. Um, so this is some guys at Ericsson, the guys who... Is Ericsson the right people? Yeah, who I Developed so. Erlang. Um, and this is like their intro video for it from, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, sometime about then. So Erlang is a functional programming language. It was designed for use in telephone exchanges. And this little video, they go through the features of it. The fashion is obviously 80s. The whole thing looks like a three o'clock in the morning open university presentation. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. And they, they show off some of the features of Erlang. They even have, they start killing processes in the telephone switch and then have a telephone call. That's a, that's like an old school Eric's, oh, TWM. I like TWM. So, the, I mean, the video actually makes a good job of showing off the features, like in terms of uh, robustness and um, recovery from failures and that sort of thing. But it is the, the look of it and the style of it is just uh, fantastic. It's honestly worth 10 minutes of your time. You can tell they're Swedish by the uh, table he's got his phone in at about 4 minutes 5. <laughs> that, would, that would not look out of place in Ikea today. All right, I'm adding that to my Insta paper key so I can uh, catch up on it when I can work out how to make the sound work. All right, so apparently you've gone the other way. Yeah, I'm using an Android phone at the moment. All right, okay. What for, one? For a bit. Uh, I've got a Z3 com- Compact. Okay. Just because I've been having some... It's not RSI, but RSI-like problems. It's more 
tendon related according to the doctor so i thought i'd try just using a different sized phone for a bit to see if that made any difference yep and so i thought it's a good time to upgrade the phone i take cycling to something else and i wanted to get something decent enough that it wouldn't just horrify me using it full time so like my requirements were must run recent android must be smaller you know so it's actually compact like iphone 5 size okay it feels barbaric going back to such a small phone by the way <laughs> barbaric for a bit and then after like a couple of weeks, I like pick up my 6S Plus and I'm like, oh my word, this is enormous. How did I ever deal with this? But then I look then I look at its screen and I'm like, oh, it's gorgeous. So what what, what colour did you get? Because I remember at launch this phone had the orange colour that was quite nice. Uh, yeah, now I just got a black one because I got okay. it cheap. Uh, but it's waterproof, which is pretty cool. First thing I did is obviously turn it on and, and drop it in a pint of water, <laughs> which is very, feels very odd. You're like, this, this feels so wrong. And then it's totally fine. It's, yeah. It's weird. That's quite a brave test. I don't think I'd be doing that. Because it's going to... You could do that with your iPhone 7. Yeah, well, eh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Although with the scratch screen, I already want to make use of the Apple Care Plus. Like, yeah. yeah, so just drop in a pint. Be fine. Yeah. No, because it's, it's going to be relegated to my bike phone. and it's, it's quite nice just being able to shove it in the jersey pocket when you're out cycling and not worry about... It. It's got quite a nice camera on it as well. Like, Sony make the... Does Sony still make iPhone camera sensors? I'm not sure, but... I'm not sure if they do in the current generation. Anyway, they make decent camera sensors, so the camera's alright. The software for the camera doesn't seem brilliant, but it's... Uh, yeah. Although, Android is still... Yeah. It's it's not the one, really. I'm interested to try out... I mean, speaking of... I know it is a Sony camera and it's like the, Sony, the Google Pixel. Actually, that... Yeah, because... Daydream as well, you could try some half-decent VR. Yeah, I'm quite interested to, to see one of those. I maybe need to see if I can get one for the um, collection of test devices. Did you get the wireless charging thing? So the Sony doesn't Sony. have wireless charging. It's just got a dock thing and it's got some pogo pins on the side. Ah, okay. But... Uh, I'm, I'm just seeing a Sony magnetic yeah, charging it. dock. Had Note 4 and partner has a Note 4 and she's using wireless charging for that. It's pretty cool. You just put it down on your bedside table okay. and it charges. And you literally only have to put it down and pick it up once, and then you think, "Oh my word, I'm just like it's some sort of base animal plugging my iPhone in every night." It like that literally was all it took was just seeing it happen once, and to pick it up and put it down again, and it's charging again. That's you kind of think that's definitely the future. Oh, as long as it doesn't burn your house. Down, <laughs> it's not a Note Seven. <laughs>